So 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words or speech. Or let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We are currently in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, which are rules for living in God's freedom. And today we come to the Sixth Commandment, and it simply says, You shall not murder. It's short. It's simple, and it seems pretty obviously simple and straightforward to understand. Don't kill anyone. And I think we all agree, and very few of us actually feel guilty about this commandment, because most likely we've never killed anyone and perhaps don't intend to. So you might think today's sermon is also going to be short, simple, and straightforward, and we could all just go off and start eating George's beef randang at the potluck lunch. But, give me a few more minutes. I think it's worth pondering why murder is universally accepted as wrong in our Western world. Why is it the case? If you asked 100 people in Roselle if they think murder is wrong, 100 people will say yes. And if you ask them why, they will probably say something, it's just not right. When it comes down to it, many people define the rightness of not murdering by some form of utilitarian ethic. That is, we shouldn't murder because it gives the greatest good for the greatest number of people in society. Something like, to feel safe and to flourish as human beings, we can't just go around killing each other willy-nilly. But that is actually not the reason behind the Sixth Commandment. God prohibits murder even if it doesn't give the greater good for society, even if it is an inconvenience, even if it does become a burden on other people in society in order to keep and maintain life. Because according to the Bible, we are to not murder because life is sacred, in that God is the giver and the owner of life. And we read this in Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul says, uh, actually the, the Luke, the Apostle says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needs, needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. See, to take someone's life is to express ownership over that person. 
But since life is God-given, no human being could ever possess such authority. In other words, no one person could ever own the life of another because God is the giver and owner of life and he gives us life actually with the highest dignity. We read in the first uh, book of the Bible in Genesis, we read, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Every human being is made in the image of God. What that means is that we're created to reflect God in terms of our personality, our rule over creation, our rational and moral choice, and very evidently our capacity for love and relationships. And so no matter a person's race or ethnicity, no matter their health or disabilities, no matter their age or infirmities, every person has inherent worth and dignity since everyone is made to be like God. And so therefore the Christian social ethic is less concerned about utilitarian outcomes and more driven by a higher view of humanity. See, Christians view and value life not because of its capacity or utility or the potentiality of a human, but because inherent Inherent in every human being is the mark of God, being God's image bearer. As John Dixon says in his book on the Ten Commandments, biblical social ethic is less concerned with an imagined result approach and more driven by the recognition of the high value of human beings. Every man and woman, regardless of capacity or utility, is intended by God to bear his image in the world. So I want to just stop for a sec because I know that most of you are probably in the performance review stage of the year. Some might have had their, your review and you're quite happy with the results. Some might perhaps be a bit fearful. Some perhaps a bit more frustrated. And it's so often as adults in Sydney... The value and our worth is so constantly measured by our performance in terms of our utility, our capacity, and potentiality. I just want to say that today, I just want you to take for a moment, God does not value you based on your potentiality, your utility, or your capacity. He sees you with the greatest value, worth, and dignity because inherently, without you doing anything from the day that you were born, from the time that you were in your mother's womb, you were valued. You had dignity because you are God's image bearer. So I want you to let that sink in. No matter what voices that you have, no matter what review you're going to have, Know that your life is sacred and God values you. You are worthy to him by the simple fact that he created you to bear his own image. This leads to the second reason why God prohibits murder. Since human beings are so loved and valued by our creator, we are also to love and value all human beings. 
Reformer John Calvin puts it like this. If we do not wish to violate the image of God, we ought to hold our neighbor sacred. And if we do not wish to renounce all humanity, we ought to cherish his as our own flesh. The Lord has willed that we consider those two things which are naturally in man and might lead us to seek his preservation, to reverence his image imprinted in man and to embrace our own flesh in him. That's what John Calvin is also reflecting on. Because all human beings are sacred, therefore we should all embrace one another in love as God has embraced us. And so by outlawing murder because life is sacred and therefore we ought to love each other, God is effectively fostering the need for people to work constructively through their differences. Finding amicable ways of achieving peaceful outcomes. And so this commandment discourages a vigilante attitude so that an Israelite does not take the law into their own hands and to therefore then take out someone else's life out of their own will and at the expense of another person's life. Those are the two biblical reasons. Life is sacred, therefore we ought to love our neighbor as a sacred human being. And so it is with these two biblical reasons that life is sacred, God is the giver and owner of life, and the love for one's neighbour that we apply on how we ought to view suicide, euthanasia, and abortion. And I want to acknowledge that I will be saying something about these things, but not enough to cover all the complex issues surrounding these three things. So firstly, the sixth commandment prohibits suicide. Older descriptions of suicide called it self-murder, which is what it is and why it is wrong. God is the giver and owner of life. Only he has the right to give and take life. Suicide is wrong, but we must be very sympathetic to see this is a very painful area because those considering suicide feel utterly awful to be thinking about it and doing it at all. They feel that as life is not worth living, they do not think that they can go on as they are. And it has been said that suicide is a very selfish act because in doing it you are only thinking about yourself. But we must recognise that it is a selfish act of a person who can't see the alternative. And it's often connected to depression and the blackness does not allow them to see any other way. And it can, be feel, it can feel very overwhelming. And this means we must be both in saying that it is wrong, but we must sympathize deeply with those tempted by it. It's also important to say that suicide is not the unforgivable sin, as perhaps the Catholic Church might describe as the mortal sin, which means the person loses his or her salvation. Biblically, this is not true. Suicide is ending your life with a sinful act, but that act can be forgiven by God as much as any other sinful act. <coughs> Secondly, the sixth commandment prohibits euthanasia, which is assisted suicide. Usually the argument for euthanasia is that the person's quality of life is so poor that life is not worth living. <coughs> It's true that life can be very appalling, and so we must be sympathetic to that. But again, 
God is the giver and owner of life. And while God decides to give life, life, no matter how appalling it is, it's a life still worth living. While we are made in his image, we will continue to retain that dignity, whatever our health may be. We should be clear that the decision to end life deliberately in euthanasia is different from withdrawing treatment. That is, allowing someone to die naturally and take its natural course. That's very different. And so it is in the high value of human life as God's image bearers, even though the body is wasting away, that Christians in the past have been motivated to start hospices, to carefully care for the terminally ill. So as well as expressing our disagreement with euthanasia, we must also support the care of those who are dying, treating them with respect and dignity for so long as God gives them life. Thirdly, the sixth commandment prohibits abortion. Once again, we are walking on sensitive ground and dealing with a variety of situations. Some will have had an abortion and feel crippled by the guilt. Some may have been pressured into it, feeling that they had very little choice in the matter. Others may have had made a free choice and not considered that they have done anything wrong. Meanwhile, the men in the equation are rarely to be seen. It is emotive and it's very difficult. But the issue that we have to wrestle here is, when does life start? When does life start? Currently, all other states except New South Wales, abortion is legal. In Tasmanian, Tasmania, abortion is legal up to 16 weeks. In Western Australia, abortion is legal up to 20 weeks. In Queensland, abortion is legal up to 22 weeks. In the Northern Territory, abortion is legal up to 23 weeks. In Victoria, abortion is legal up to 24 weeks. In South Australia, abortion is legal up to 28 weeks. In New South Wales, our state, abortion is illegal and is only legal if the doctor believes a woman's physical and or mental health is in serious danger. And as you might be aware, on August the 1st, independent MP Alex Greenwich introduced a bill to decriminalise abortion, saying that the laws around termination were no longer fit for purpose and need to be modernised. <coughs> the current legislation in our states where abortion is legal focuses on when life is sustainable outside the womb. That's where they determine those weeks. Each state has a different determination of when life is sustainable outside the womb. But that is actually a very different question to the question of when does life start? When does life start versus when life is sustainable outside the womb are two very different questions. And so just because a baby would not survive outside the womb does not mean it is having less of a life. A person's life doesn't begin at birth or between 16 to 28 weeks of pregnancy. A, a person's life begins at the moment of conception. And we see it when King David describes God of knowing him in the womb in Psalm 139. It's a beautiful psalm. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so we must pause for a moment and hear and speak to those perhaps who have had an abortion or know someone who has had an abortion, who might consequently feel very guilty. I want to say please recognize that God understands whatever situation you were in and please know that he offers forgiveness full and free and all you need to do is ask. If you haven't come to God for forgiveness, then please speak to someone about what you've been through. It can feel shameful and it can feel like church is perhaps the last place you want to speak about that. But I want to say this is what church is for. Talking, sharing, praying with others is part of how God can help you. And as a Christian community, our response to those who have had an abortion, our response is non-judgmental. There's almost always the experience of so much guilt and we don't want to unhelpfully add to this burden. This does not mean that we are condoning what has taken place, but we offer God's grace and forgiveness in humility, recognizing that we are all sinners accepted by God in his grace. And so if we are committed to the sacredness of life, then it would mean that we would encourage every woman to carry their child to term And that would actually really mean that we need to appreciate the real difficulties that many women will face. And so we show our commitment to our beliefs by being willing to support women in emotional and practical ways. And this is what it will look like for us as a church community to honour the sixth commandment. And so in these ways we are called not to murder, but respect and value life today. But when we come to the New Testament of the Bible, we see that Jesus deepens the commandment to not murder to the level of our hearts. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murder will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Jesus goes beyond action of murdering action to the heart attitude of hatred. Because hatred is the root attitude that leads people to murder, whether through bitterness or revenge or envy. Raka is Aramaic as an Aramaic insult emphasizing the worthlessness of some like you are good for nothing. So Jesus is moving from anger in our heart to a way that it's expressed with our words and treatment of people. And this is reinforced in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And so in Jesus fulfilling this commandment, we disobey the commandment not just by the acts of murder, but also having a murderous heart. We disobey by not living in peace with others, by boiling up hatred rather than seeking reconciliation. The command to not murder has now developed into something much more deeper and far more 
reaching. To treat human as sacred and to love our neighbour means seeking reconciliation and peace in relationships. It means looking to love rather than hate. It means responding with gentleness rather than to provoke. And so we need to be honest with ourselves right now. You may not have enacted physical harm to another, but we need to be honest about our attitudes towards others. We may think that we have never murdered, but we may actually murder every day in our hearts. We can nurture anger and bitterness. We can daydream moments of vengeance. We can be those that stir up dissension and divisions rather than promoting peace. And we can certainly fail to love those around us. In all these ways and more, we can murder. And so we need to be honest and then confess. And then come to Jesus for forgiveness, for he is the only one who has kept this commandment perfectly. He respected every life he met. He never endangered anyone. He was only rightly angry, and he was always loving. And he was murdered to die for all the ways that we have murdered, and by his grace he gives us his righteousness to us. And so we come to Jesus freely with his forgiveness to celebrate the work of his salvation. Only when we come to Jesus who was murdered for us can our murderous hearts be transformed and have the strength and power to live as we should. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you. We thank you that your son was willing to face the most heinous hate and was killed so that we would receive your most gracious love and eternal life. Help us to live honourable lives with you as our creator. Help us to honour and protect the lives of others through love, forgiveness and sacrifice. Change our hearts so that our words and actions would be life-giving rather than life-taking by the power of Christ's redeeming words and actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.